This morning I want to talk about a lot of things, uh, but today we're having a real nerd fest. You know, there are nerds in the world, and I'm one of them. Go nerds. Put your hand up if you're a nerd. Outrageous. Not hardly any of you put your hands up. All right. We've already had a bit of nerdy stuff this morning with our Hitchhiker's Guide from the Galaxy quote and our discussion of dark matter. And if I've got all of that wrong, you can ask. You don't know either. You're a mathematician, not a physicist. You don't know. You deal with real things, hypothetical things. Hmm, I'm an economist. I count hypothetical beans. Um, We're going to talk now about another really nerdy thing, Star Trek. Who is a Trekkie in the room? Put your hand up if you're a Trekkie. All right, about five of us. All right. Of the first, I'm going to count through the first six movies. Only the first six movies are any good anyway. Put your hand up when I get to your favourite movie. Who likes Star Trek 1, The Motion Picture? Star Trek 2, Wrath of Khan? Oh, we've got two hands at the back. Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock? Oh, good man. Okay. The Voyage Home, number four. Number five, that's the one with the whales, in case you don't know. Number five was, gone right out of my head, the one where they find God in the middle of the galaxy. That's no one's favourite. Number six, The Undiscovered Country. Interesting. I've heard some, a couple of waves there. i got to tell you, I'm all about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Money down, it is the best of them all because it's about this guy, Mr. Spock, Captain Spock. When I was a kid, I don't know how, but I really got into Star Trek. My dad, my mum, they don't care about Star Trek. My brothers and sisters, brother and sister, don't really care about Star Trek, but somehow it appealed to me. And as a kid, somehow I must have taped on a VCR. This is for all the young people in the room. Back in the day when I was a kid, I'm one of the few people in the room who knows how to put a digital timer on a VCR. There's only about five years where that was a necessary skill, and I'm one of the people who could do that. Anyway, I taped this movie, Star Trek Three. I think I taped them all, pirated off the TV, but we were allowed to do that in the 80s. It was a different time. And I would watch this movie over and over and over again. The glorious story, because as you know, spoiler alert, he gets killed in movie number two, but comes back in movie number three. Now, how is that for a Jesus story right there? He comes back to life in movie number three. I love it. And I love this character of Spock, because if you know Spock, he's logical. Yes, he's the rational one. I never wanted to be the man in charge of the Starship Enterprise. I wanted to be the guy next to him pointing out whenever the captain did something wrong and then helping him fix the problem. That was my job. I'm there to help the captain, not to be the captain. And he was a good character for me, or I thought he was a good character for me, because as a kid I was very clever, as you can tell, and well-read and smarter than everyone else in the class. I'm not boasting. Anyone else who went to Boona High or Boona Primary, you can probably agree with that, except for that one kid who we won't mention his name. But anyway, I was pretty clever, but I was also very emotional. If someone said something to me, I'd fall apart. I'd fall in a heap. I'd cry and yell and stamp my feet at the slightest thing. And so Spock was a good guide for me because he was similar. He had this deep emotional side, but he controlled it with logic. And for many, many years, I'd watch the movie over and over again, and I would think of myself as Spock until the point where I became cold and disinterested and separated from the world. And eventually God said to me, by the way, you're not Spock, you're David, and you're allowed to cry. 
And to prove the point to me, God made it so I couldn't sing a song without starting bursting into tears in the second verse. No matter what the hymn was in church, we'd get to verse 2 and I'd burst into tears and I'd think, this is a terrible way for a Vulcan to behave. And God would say, you're not a Vulcan. I started almost worshipping Star Trek as a child and I became like a Vulcan because I watched the stories over and over again until God saved me and rescued me from that. Here is a next question for our... So that was our Star Trek nerds. Here's our Latin nerds. Any Latin nerds in? Anybody learn Latin in school? Oh, a couple of you. Anyone tell me what this means? It's also a church theology thing. Lex orandi, lex credendi. It means as we worship, so we believe. Or so we become. And so this was an important thing for the, for the medieval church and for the, even into the modern church. The way we worship, what we do here on Sunday is deliberate. We're trying to get you to believe certain things. And so we worship in certain ways. Which is one of the reasons why Christians argue about worship and music and liturgy and prayers. I'm reading a book at the moment on the English Civil War, so there's another nerd thing. Anybody a big fan of the English Civil Wars? The Wars of the Three Kingdoms? No? That war from about 1640 to about 1652 was fought over whether there should be bishops in Scotland and whether the Book of Common Prayer should be used everywhere in Britain. That was the reason they went to war. There was a lot behind that, but that was the reason they used to go to war. If you think the worship wars of the 1980s and 90s were bad, well, they had nothing on the worship wars of the English Civil War. Because what we think about, what we focus on, what we spend time doing affects us. It affects our brains, it affects our lives, it affects our personality, it affects our culture. And as I spent so much of my youth watching Spock and admiring Spock, the more Spock-like I became. And that was ultimately unhealthy. Who is your Spock? And I don't mean Scotty or Sulu. Who is your Spock? What do you worship? Last week, Talia started our series in the book of Psalms. We're going to spend a couple of weeks reading the book of Psalms. I'm not going to read it all. It's a big book, 150 chapters, some of them very long, some of them very short. If you were to open a Bible at random, you would almost certainly find yourself in the Psalms. Look. 150 chapters, it's right in the middle. It has been the songbook of the Jewish and Christian faiths for millennia, thousands of years, and contains much ancient and divine wisdom. And last week, Talia preached about seeing the wisdom that comes from meditating on the truths of the Lord's teaching. This week, I want to turn our attention to another major theme in the book of Psalms, that of worship. The Psalms repeatedly call us to worship God in different ways, at different times, in different circumstances. You see, God is big. And sometimes we forget that. Carly and I went away on our 10th anniversary, 10 years ago now almost, uh, and we went on a cruise. We left the children we had with our grandmothers, with, with their grandmothers, and we went on a cruise together for nine days out to, I think we got as far as Vanuatu, which I know that most of you here who are from the islands think Vanuatu, that's almost in Australia. But that's as far as we got. 
Vanuatu. Uh, and the first day we were out at sea, we're sitting there having our breakfast by these big windows, and all you can see is the sea. There's nothing out there until you get to an island. There's nothing there. And I've never been in that situation before where you're on a boat and all you can see around you is water that goes on forever. It's an enormous ocean. I've seen maps. I've flown over the ocean. I know how big the Pacific is. But once you're there, even in a fairly big cruise ship, you feel tiny because it's a big ocean. Water everywhere, just going on and on and on forever and forever. And God created all of that. It's incredible. And I found myself singing with Talia, O boundless salvation, deep ocean of love. And other hymns like, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. It hit us just how big the ocean was. And in comparison to that, just how much bigger than that God's love is. That's what worship is. It's saying, wow, that's big. Praise is useful for us as humans to receive. As we hear the kind of things that people think about us, our hearts are encouraged and we feel good about ourselves. And I'm sure God feels good about the praise that we give him as well But praising God is also useful for us as humans because it reminds us that we are not God. It reminds us that God is a lot bigger than us. It helps us think about ourselves in the correct perspective. God is God and you ain't. People who do not praise God often start to think of themselves as God. And that's not wise, which we talked about last week. Praise is a first step in worship and acknowledging the greatness and glory of the one who is being praised. And the Psalms bring us to that place of praise and worship again and again and again. And so we turn this morning to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is one of these songs of praise. It's a poetic reflection on the greatness of God as seen in creation and our place in it. The song shows wonder at the majestic and beyond comprehension nature of God. If you've got your Bibles there, you'll notice that under Psalm 8, it says some little words. It says, for the director of music, according to Gitteth, a psalm of David. That's not actually part of the psalm. That's just some notes that have been added. And the reality is we don't know what a Gitteth is or was. The true meaning has been lost to history. This song is so old that not only don't we play the instrument anymore, we forgot what the instrument was. The piano is what, 300 years old, 400 years old? We can't imagine a world without pianos. These people couldn't imagine a world without a gitteth. It's mentioned in other psalms, twice elder in psalms, 81 and 94. This is for those biblical nerds who want to know about music things. It's been suggested it's a joyful kind of instrument. Because the psalms that it's mentioned in a Giddith is mentioned in all psalms of celebration and excitement. Let's look at it together this morning. So having dealt with the, the phrase at the top, here it says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Actually, I might get you to read it with me. Let's read it together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. 
The whole of creation is full of God's glory and radiant with the power of his excellency of his power. His goodness and wisdom are obvious and present and everywhere in all of creation. God is at work everywhere. There is no place where God is not. The miracles of his power are all around us. And the wise reaction of the human heart is to praise and worship and celebrate God. The name of God mentioned here and the glory of God are expressing the same idea, his nature, his identity. How excellent is his name? How majestic is his name? Beyond understanding or examination, there is no better or more wonderful name than, O Lord, our Lord. I point out to you here that the first word, Lord, is there in all capitals. This is the name of God as the Hebrew people understood it, the word Yahweh, which no good Jew would ever say out loud, but I'm not a Jew. They would never say this name out loud. They would say the word Lord, but in their hearts they'd be thinking Yahweh. And for us in our English translations, if you see the word Lord written in all capital, that's a clue to us that this is the holy name of God, Yahweh. And so in the passage we read Yahweh. Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The second Lord is just a word that means our sovereign. In the original Hebrew, this is not a repetition of words like it is in English, but it's a repetition of ideas. Our great and glorious God, whose name is holy, who is in command of the universe. Let's read the second verse together. Through the praise of children and infants, You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. This verse talks about praise coming from the mouth of babes with the idea being that it is our natural state to worship and celebrate God even from our first breath. Other translations say from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And there's a reason to silence the foe and the avenger. Worship is an important part of our spiritual warfare, of opposing evil, of fighting the devil. We sometimes sing the song. Usually Beck chooses this song when she's leading. She sings, when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted oh high, with my hands lifted high. Oh, Lord, the battle belongs to you. That's one of yours, isn't it, Beck? One of Beck's favorites. That's how we fight. We fight by worshiping the Lord with our hands lifted high on our knees. When we worship God, things happen in the unseen realms. Charles Wesley, our great hymn writer, put it like this, Jesus, the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before him fall, and devils fear and fly. When the name of Jesus is worshipped, angels and men fall to their knees and the devils run. The devil's troubling you, start singing. Because worship is warfare. As we turn our attention to the God who made us and rejoice in his nature, we are fighting, we are opposing, we are doing what God designed us to do. We are resisting the devil. Verse 3, let's read together. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. 
the psalmist pauses and draws our attention back to the heavens and look at all this, we find much motivation for worship in science, in exploring the complexity and wonders of the universe. Science is not the enemy of faith. It should be our motivator. Because when the scientists look out into the universe, there's a lot of stuff they don't know. Yes, we talked about that in kids' time. And that should motivate us to worship. The further the scientists look down into the atom and the subatomic particles, the more stuff they keep finding. And that should motivate us to worship. In Genesis chapter 1, we read the simple words, our God made the stars also. Almost as an afterthought. He made the stars also. And here the infinite void of the universe is described as being merely the work of his fingers. Imagine what God could do if he really put his back into it. You know, he's just fiddling around creating galaxies and uniforms. What if he really stuck a whole hand in or really gave it a good shove like I'm about to knock my water over? Imagine what he could do. Let's read verse 4 together. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In comparison to the complexity and vastness of the universe, who are we? At the center of this psalm, there's a section about human beings and our place in the created universe, created order of the universe. And yet it is a psalm of praise because the focus is on God our creator. Humans are described as being a little lower than the Elohim, lower than the angels. We haven't read that verse yet. Sorry, let's read the verse. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Elohim here is the word which literally means, is the word here, and it's the word literally gods. In Hebrew, it means gods. But it's one of those words that is complicated because of things, and we won't go into all of that. So it's sometimes translated as God, as in our God is Elohim. Sometimes translated as gods, as in the gods of the other nations. Sometimes it's translated as the angels. Some modern translations will use the heavenly beings or the divine creatures. It's very complicated, but for us we need to know that in this psalm it means angels. And how do we know that? because the writer of the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 2.7, he quotes this verse and he uses the Greek word angels to translate, translate the Hebrew word Elohim. It's interesting. That's for linguistic nerds. It's not important. What's important is that the psalmist is declaring that you and I, human beings, are the pinnacle of creation. There's the stuff we can't see, which is God and the heavenly beings, and of all the stuff you can see, the psalmist said, we're number one. That doesn't scare you. You're not paying attention. The Bible says God made everything and it was good and then he made people and it was very good. Very good. You and I are what make this world very good compared to what it was without us. And when I think about this, the amazing value that God places on us. And then when I think about that magnificent, huge body of water, the Pacific Ocean, looking out from my cruise ship, I find it amazing that the God who created all that thinks I'm okay. More than that, he thinks I'm pretty good. 
More than that, he loves me. And yet, and yet, we are minuscule in comparison to the great God. We sometimes sing another song. Normally when Letitia is leading, it says this, Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. As human beings, we have extraordinary value and worth. We are made in the image of God. We are like him in our ability to think and choose and create and love. We are made, it says here, a little lower than the angels. And for all that worth, we are unworthy because we're sinners. We've fallen a long way short of what we're meant to be, sinners, a long way short of the glory of God. And yet... And yet, God calls us to be his people, to return to his original design, his original desire for us to be his children, to live in love and fellowship with our creator and with each other. Let's read verses 6 and 7 together. So he's talking about us. He's saying you, you made them. He's saying God made humans. Let's read together. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all that swim the paths of the sea. This psalm lists the responsibilities that we as human beings have. As the pinnacle of God's physical creation, we have a job to do, and that's to look after the rest of it, to care for it. God has given us responsibilities to rule over his works, to care for the earth. All the physical things are put under our dominion. All the animal life and all its complexity and joy and beauty, all our responsibility to steward and shepherd and protect. And we could talk about that for a long time as well, but this should motivate us to study, to learn, to conserve, to celebrate, to protect. Some good news this week. 29 species in Australia have recovered enough to be taken off the endangered species list. Then the 29 species from quokkas to frogs to whales are no longer endangered. That's good news. And that's part of our job as humans is to look after the creation that God has given us. There are still, I think, 449 species on the endangered list. Let's pray and work to get them all off that list because God made them and they're part of our responsibility. Our cousins in New Zealand, our cousin bros in New Zealand have got aimed even higher than this. New Zealand has a policy that by the year 2050, there will be no predators introduced by white people and Maoris. All the people who came to New Zealand brought their pest with them from wherever they came, rats and foxes and all the rest of it that the Europeans brought. The New Zealanders have set a goal that by 2050, New Zealand will be free of all foreign pests because the animals native to New Zealand aren't designed to cope with rats. And so they're starting on each peninsula. They're working their way in with rat traps and they're keeping tracks and they're poisoning things and they're wiping stuff out, but they're wiping out the bad stuff and they're keeping the stuff that God meant to be there. God bless our cousin bros in New Zealand. I hope that encourages us in Australia to go better. Let's do it by 2049 just to show them how good we are. It would be a lot harder in Australia. We don't have as many peninsulas and it's a much bigger lump of dirt. This is what humans are meant to do. We're meant to look after the world around us. 
And by the way, verse 7 says that we've been made rulers over the works of God's hands, and that includes you. Your physical body is part of God's glorious creation. And so the, we, I was challenged last week. We went to a pastor's conference. Uh, some of us here went to the conference, and the guy spoke uh, in saying that we often talk about the spiritual health of people, but we often leave aside the mental and emotional health, and we often leave aside the physical health. And we shouldn't do that. We're all, all part of the package. You, in your physical body, are part of God's marvellous creation. So you should look after your body. That doesn't mean we all have to look like a bodybuilder at the peak of his health or whatever. But your body has been given to you for a reason. It's part of God's creation. So I encourage you to make regular appointments at your doctor, to eat properly, to care for your body well, and maybe even do a bit of exercise. I don't like the idea of that. Don't care for exercise. I'm a nerd. But body God has given me as part of his creation, and I need to look after it better. By caring for the things that God has given us, we honor him. We show respect. We worship him. And so we come to Psalm 8, last verse, verse 8. Let's read together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth the same as verse 1, which is how you know the psalm is over. Worship is our response to the bigness, to the goodness of God, and it takes many forms. Are there any questions this morning before I conclude? I don't see any questions. don't see any hands raised this morning. Oh, over here, Uncle Ken. Clean Up Australia Day. All right, well, that's a good thing to know. Thank you for that, Uncle Ken. For those listening on the podcast or the radio, you've missed it, but it's Clean Up Australia Day. Go and pick up some litter in your neighbourhood. And why are you doing it? Wear your Wesleyan Methodist church shirt to show that we're part of that. Yes, good. God bless you. Looking after our creation is part of how we worship God. My phone number is there. My email address is there. If I've said something and you want to talk to me about it, love to have a chat with you about these things. Right, Jesus quoted this psalm. Jesus quotes Psalm 8. We'll read very quickly through this before we come to a conclusion. It's the triumphal entry. Jesus has come into Jerusalem just before the crucifixion, and he's coming in. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this man? And crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, And they saw the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. One of my favorite Bible words. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, Jesus replied. I'm not deaf. Yes, Jesus replied. 
Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And I could preach a whole other sermon here about the importance of worship and how that should work, how it should be a place set aside, a thing done in community, a place where it's not about the outside stuff, it's not about money and buying and selling and all that show of religion. It's about people getting healed and set free and it's about old folks and young folks and little kids running up and down the aisles and shouting and celebrating the goodness of God. I could, I won't. I want to point out to you here, Jesus takes this psalm, praising Lord our Lord, and he says it's okay that these children are praising me because the Bible says it's their job to praise God. And a week later, they killed him for saying that, in part. Jesus quotes Psalm 8. And I want to suggest to you here this morning that the Lord that the psalm calls Yahweh, we call him Jesus. He's the same God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We could say, O Jesus, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's a song from my childhood that I've chosen this morning for us to reflect. Time has come, the kingdom of God, all the rest of it. The song is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. An old scripture and song one, I'm pretty sure it's from the Brown Book, but don't quote me on that. That's for our scripture and song nerds. This has been a message for nerds. The jocks got a bit in there as well with you should be told to exercise. That was for the jocks. You're either a jock or a nerd. You know that, don't you? But no matter what you are, God loves you. And he calls us to worship him this morning.